listening to Buzz Podcast. This issue is focusing on the road tap refresh. My name is Jo Walker and I'm Head of Marketing here at Bud. I'm joined today by Matt Wood, who is our Resident Compliance Manager. We'll also be joined later by Katie Hopwood and Craig Robinson, who are both Apprenticeship Delivery Consultants. During this podcast, we'll be discussing the background to the 2021 ROTAP refresh and outlining some of the common difficulties training providers might face. We'll start with Matt Wood. Matt, could you give us some background to the register and help us understand why the refresh is taking place? Thanks, Jo. To give you some background, the register first came about in 2016, along with the apprenticeship reforms that took place and introduction of apprenticeship standards. We since had a refresh in January 2019, and the register was closed in April 2020 due to COVID. The refresh was expected as the ESFA had always said that it would be regularly refreshed to make sure providers on there were delivering high quality apprenticeships. We had a delay due to COVID and in January 2021, the FE white paper did set out that the refresh would start again from May 2021, that everybody on there would have to reapply and I would be open to new providers. So that's where we currently are. The applications will take place from May and everyone will be invited to reapply every month. You may be one of the first ones asked or you may have a de- delay to being invited. Either way, you'll have 30 days to reapply. And if you don't ask, you'll get an email from the ESFA um, notifying that you have 10 days to respond and express your interest in reapplying. If you don't respond to that email, then you'll be automatically removed from the register. So it's vitally important that you act as soon as you receive a notification. Thanks for that, Matt. That was a really good brief introduction as to why this is all going on and certainly sets the clock ticking as the reapplications are going to be starting imminently and will then be rolling over the course of the year. Matt, I wonder if through your research you've been able to identify the key differences between the old application and the new. Yeah, there are some significant differences between the two. Um, Previously we had six sections and now there are nine, so they've really fleshed out some of the areas and the number of questions have significantly increased compared to the old. Uh, Providers are still expected to upload their policies and procedures, you know, the usual things like safeguarding, complaints policy, equality and diversity and so on. Uh, Those haven't changed and will remain. You look at the financial health, which has always been a major aspect of these applications. Um, But then beyond that, there's a lot more depth on the readiness to engage with learners, employers and awarding organisations. There's more there on how you plan your apprenticeship training and how you monitor the progress that learners make. To be honest, it feels a lot more in depth and reflecting the Ofsted's um, inspection framework, which looks at how you intend to deliver, how you implement and how you assess the impact of what you deliver. That was really interesting background, Matt as to why the register actually exists. Do you think you could help us understand why this refresh is taking place? As I said, it was announced in the white paper in January um, in a section specifically on independent training providers. And in that section mentioned how it was a crowded market. At the moment, we have over 2000 apprenticeship providers on the register, 70% of which are main providers. And there's a concern that a lot of providers doesn't necessarily mean high quality and consistency. So they want to see if everyone on there still meets the criteria. In the white paper, they talked about making it a more stringent entry criteria for new and existing providers. So the idea is to raise quality, um, which to be honest, I don't think we can really argue with. There's also a feeling that some providers on the list are simply not delivering apprenticeships anymore. 
particularly due to COVID. You know, a lot has changed in the business in the last year. Uh, and unfortunately, some providers may have gone out of business. You'll need to be active on the register at all times. You can't have a period of six months with no activity. So there's going to be a certain amount of cooling going on here. Um, due to COVID as well, Ofsted paused their inspections, meaning that a lot of providers expecting um, a new monitoring visit uh, taking place haven't been able to have these visits yet. So there's a big backlog in the, um, in the Ofsted inspections. One of the things that came out of the register when it was first introduced was that some people were registering businesses on, on Rotap simply to sell them on. So there was one story of a man who put a number of providers on, all from his bedroom as the address, only to sell them on later for tens of thousands of pounds. Obviously, the SFA have never been keen on this, and they've been trying to crack it down for quite a long, uh, crack down on it for quite a long time. They've tried to make each iteration tougher, but never really got it right. But I think looking at the guidance this time and the depth of questions this time, I think they're getting much closer to making it more difficult to firstly get on and then stay onto the list. It's not meant to put people off, but it is meant to drive the quality to get the better apprentices out there. That makes sense, Matt. It certainly sounds like the ESFA are trying to join up much more closely with Ofsted, putting the learner at the forefront and ensuring training providers are there to deliver quality training. So hopefully the best outcome from all of this will be that overall quality improves. Matt, through your research, have you been able to identify the key differences between the old register and the new? So coming back to what I said earlier about there being a more stringent entry criteria, I don't think there's any doubt that this is a more robust application. There are certain things that will ask for, such as policies and procedures, but the real differences come later on in the sections. There's a lot more about readiness to engage with learners, employers and awarded bodies. They're specifically interested in which sector providers are delivering in. You know, previously you could get on the register and deliver any of the 700 uh, apprenticeship standards that are currently available. At the moment, they're looking to make sure that training providers have sector specific courses in mind. You know, they, they don't want somebody, an example, you know, a sports coaching background to then suddenly get into higher level management if the expertise is not already in place for the organization. So what you're trying to do now is, is plan what you intend to deliver in which sectors. And then if you want to expand, there's no reason why you can't do that. They don't want to stop people expanding, but they want to make sure the expertise is there in place. So one of the things they ask you for is about the staff that will be involved, looking at CV patterns, looking at qualifications that the staff have, and checking that the senior management teams um, have delivery, uh, sorry, have experience in delivering apprenticeships. And I think these themes broadly correlate with Ofsted's themes of intent, implementation, and impact, as I said before. You can see how this is going to fit in with a wider system of Ofsted linking up with the ESFA, probably on a tighter scale than we've seen before, because Ofsted are now taking over all levels of apprenticeships right up to level six and seven. Um, the new application guidance certainly has that in mind from my point of view. If you look at the questions previously, you might have answered about 15 or so, but now they're up to about 40, with I think the average main provider looking to answer about 30. And there are different questions, obviously, between main providers and supporting providers, um, asking specifically how you'll engage with EPA organisations and awarding bodies. These are new questions that we've not seen before. Obviously, you've still got some key ones, you know, managing off the job is still there. How you're going to develop your staff CVs and CPD is really important. 
Providers are being asked about their wider organisation, so completing this could involve more people than it did before. Previously, a senior manager could have completed the whole application, but I think now your uh, providers will need to engage across different departments. This new focus on sector expertise is really interesting, Matt. I wonder what will be the impact on the largest training providers who may be offering a broader range of courses than small. Do you think they might need to review the number of courses they have on offer and maybe focus on specific areas? It's certainly possible. I'd like to think, though, that any providers already delivering courses would already have the expertise in place. I don't think we'll be seeing providers currently offering something and then suddenly they can. But equally, if they don't have those experts in place and they're not delivering high quality training, then they need to cut back. So it will be more about evidencing the experts that they have in place. So perhaps the impact will be on the smaller end of the market, making sure they can back up their claims of offering courses in certain sectors. Yeah, exactly that. At Bud, we have a range of small specialist providers. You know, they only deal in a few specific qualifications and they're well set up to do those. As providers grow, there's no reason why they can't take on additional sectors. But the ESFA now want the right to monitor that. So on the application, you'll list the sectors that you want to work in. And if you want to change that at any point, there's a possibility that ESFA may want to talk to you and ask for evidence to support that you're ready to deliver that. I don't think there's a problem. You know, you can expand as much as you possibly can, but it all comes back to driving up quality and making sure that providers are delivering what's best for learners. And if some providers are too large, sometimes what they're delivering isn't always the best for apprentices. So once a training provider has gone through the reapplication process, what do you surmise will be the process after admission? The ESFA will take approximately 12 weeks to review the application and come back. Uh, previously, though, it's taken a lot longer. You know, sometimes it's taken several months, uh, but hopefully it'll be quicker this time. It's a simple pass or fail, but they do sometimes come back to you and ask for further clarification if they need it. At that point, you've only got 10 working days to respond. If you fail to respond, then unfortunately you'll be discounted as a fail and you'll be removed from the register. If you have failed, then unfortunately you'd have to give notice to your employers that you won't be able to take on any new starts. They won't necessarily stop you from working with apprentices you're already training, but this could be a possibility if they've got serious concerns. Um, and it's quite a big thing because providers won't be able to reapply for 12 months. So it's important to get right, that right the first time. We probably need to understand a little bit more about what will happen post-application. Um, you know, if you if you do pass, you are on the register and you're subject to Ofsted inspections. A lot of providers will have gone through a first-time monitoring visit or a full inspection, but at the moment there are still some providers that have not even reached that stage yet. Um, if you do have your Ofsted inspection and you don't get satisfactory outcomes, then Ofsted also have the power to freeze your activity. So I wonder if between the application for the register and Ofsted, they're going to tighten up that gap to make sure that the providers are delivering what they say they're delivering. You've got to think about the application in the wider scheme of things. It's not just a case of, of doing the application and then no more questions asked. We know that Ofsted are going to come back and look at these themes. And as I said, I think the themes of the application link quite strongly to the themes of Ofsted. And it's possible they may come back, look at your application and ask, why you're doing things in a certain way, especially if it's different to what you said on your application. And this all comes back to this new system of accountability that the ESFA are looking to introduce. Um, at the moment, there's some consultation going on, so we're not quite sure exactly what that's going to look like, 
but there's no doubt that this tougher application for the register is a part of that. That's really interesting, Matt. I think this joined up process between Ofsted and the ESFA has to be better in the long run in terms of outcomes for the apprenticeships and helping us to understand if the two entities are both looking for the same evidence. That surely should make the world of training provision a little bit easier in the longer term. So Matt, you've had a long career before you joined us here at Buck and you've gone through some rogue applications in the past. How much time do you think it takes for the process from beginning to end on a ROTAP application? To be honest, Joe, that's quite a difficult question. It's not easy to say it'll take X amount of time. Um, but my advice would be that even before you get your invitation to apply, go and have a look at the guidance. There are some basic things on there that we know are definitely going to come up, you know, such as the financial accounts, such as your policies and procedures. And you can start thinking about the questions now. You know, the guidance does get updated, so I'd always say go back and double check you've got the latest version when your time to apply does come. But there's absolutely no reason why you can't start answering those questions before you get invited. I think looking at the different aspects of your organisation is key here. As I said before, you know, somebody might have just completed the application on their own, but now I think there's got to be a lot more discussion with your team. You know, they're asking a lot more about initial assessments, delivery of English and maths, something to look at um, off the job hours. All these different things might be managed by different people. So lots of different people can have an impact onto this. I wouldn't wait until you get the invitation to start. At that point, you've only got 30 days to apply and you never know the timing might not be good. You know, if for example, you get your invitation in October during the hard close period, it might be that people in your business are incredibly busy and don't have the time to actually work on it. So get started now while you can. And don't forget, you know, some people are still on furlough at the moment. Businesses are still trying to get back to normal, still trying to get back to where they were before. And the register might just come at an inconvenient time. So if you get started now, I think you're in the right position. I think that's really good advice, Matt, and especially that you noted there to make sure that you have the latest updated version of the guidance. Because even just before we started recording this podcast today, I remember you opened your email and Lo and behold, in there, there had been another update that had come through. Yeah. But overall, I guess the advice is start now, get your head around it so that you're on the front foot at the point when you receive your invitation to apply. Always allow time to redraft and come back to it. Make sure you've got the correct contact details in place, because if you miss the invite to apply, you could miss out. So could you just finally summarise um, your key points for us? Yeah, I think as you say there, Joe, it's, it's making sure that you're, you're set up, ready to go. The right person's going to be contacted. Um, you know, one thing I would say, the ESFA are not here to kick everybody off the register. I've actually found in extenuating circumstances, they're quite accommodating. You know, there's some real people there in the department. They, they do take your um, circumstances on board. Don't rush it. Don't just um, submit the application as soon as you've finished writing. Draft and redraft. It's always the best thing to do. Talk to as many people in your organisation as possible. And as I say, you've got one opportunity. And if you miss it, you can't apply again for 12 months. So just make sure you're really carefully considering everything that you're putting in there and that you're answering all the questions as much as possible. Go back to that guidance as much as you need to. Matt, thank you so much for that. You've given us a lot of good advice here today. And I think that our listeners will really benefit from your insight. I'd like to bring Katie and Craig into the t- discussion now. Katie and Craig are both ADCs here at Bud, 
And they're also former employees of lifetime training, so they really do have a huge amount of experience in this sector. I'd like to start with you, Katie. What do you believe are the biggest concerns training providers are expecting when reapplying to ROTAP? Yeah, sure. So I think one of the um, biggest concerns is around demonstrating that the 20% off the job training is relevant to the apprenticeship that they're delivering. Um, so this has and continues to be a real challenge for providers. Um, it's not good enough to say, yes, all apprenticeships are undertaking 20% off the job hours. Providers must be able to demonstrate the 20% off the job hours benefit both the employee and the learner. So training providers really need to think about how they can show that the 20% off the job hours are being provided at the right time throughout their apprenticeship and they need to get feedback from the apprentices. Another one of the um, concerns for training providers is demonstrating the process for initial assessments to recognise prior learning. So as ever, providers will need to demonstrate their process for initial assessments to recognise prior learning. A lot of providers are still using paper for their enrolment and this makes it more challenging to provide evidence. This is definitely an area where providers will need to have their systems locked down prior to receiving their invite to reapply. If they don't, it could present a real logistical nightmare for those providers. And Katie, do you think that the size of the provider plays a part when looking at the challenges for reapplying uh, onto ROTAP? Yes, definitely the provider size um, does play a part. So if we're thinking about those smaller providers, while smaller providers are likely to have strong relationships with their employers, they may struggle with providing evidence. So they might not have the systems and the processes in place to collect data. Um, and a lot of small providers still use paper for tasks. So this can be a real challenge when they're asked to provide evidence for that row up. It sounds, Katie, like you're leaning towards um, digital capture of all of this information so that everything is ideally in one place. Um, it sounds as if the logistical nightmares that using a paper-based system um, then brings forward and imposes on providers could present a problem when they have to come to reapply to ROTAP. So Craig, considering um, our larger providers and our larger customers, can you um, give us any idea on um, the nuances that might be particular to them with regarding a reapplication to ROTAP? Sure, Joe. So I suppose the assumption is that larger providers are likely to have the right systems and processes in place when it comes to reapplying. Um, most larger providers are using digital enrolment and have systems that capture evidence. Um, perhaps what will be more challenging for them to demonstrate is to actually demonstrate their relationship with their employer due to the size of their organisation. Um, larger organisations might be more detached from employers um, and could therefore struggle to show how they work in harmony with their employer. Okay, great, thank you. Katie, what do you think are going to be the most common pitfalls that providers might discover when they come to reapply? Um, so yeah, I think that demonstrating that the right systems and processes are in place to collect and evidence the data. Um, so a lot of providers are still using multiple systems to collect their data and this makes it really challenging when it comes to reapplying. So they'll have to show that all the systems are working in harmony to collect the necessary evidence. Um, smaller providers may not be using any systems and may be doing things manually and this will also cause them problems. 
Um, so if the data isn't collected in the way that the ESFA expects, the provider could be struck off the register. Collecting the right data with the right systems will be really crucial. Thanks, Katie. Craig, do you want to add any more to that? Sure. So one of the most common pitfalls that I've experienced, Joe, is for providers to actually provide evidence for the professional development of their employees. Um, many providers have been overwhelmed over the past year as they've had to scramble to adapt to digital delivery. A lot of providers have been in survival mode. Um, they've maybe not had the chance to think about how employee expertise in relevant sectors will be maintained. And what best practice techniques can training providers implement when they reapply? Um, so I think definitely start early. So the SFA, as we know, are really cracking down on making sure that training is delivered to a high quality. And as a result, there are a lot of questions where providers must offer evidence or upload files. Um, if providers leave this until the last minute, they will struggle to get all of it done in time. So by that, do you mean start early with implementing any new processes that you might need? Um, because of course, training providers are invited to reapply um, to ROTAP at a specific time, aren't they? So I guess what you're saying is the earlier you start with the accurate collection of data, the better place you'll be at the point when you're requested to reapply? Yes, definitely. Start, start early. So another thing um, that we recommend is having your processes and systems in place prior to your application. Um, so providers will be asked to apply through a phased reapplication process and they'll only have around a month to complete the application. So this won't be enough time to adjust training delivery to accommodate for new ROAP requirements. So my advice would be to look at the questions in advance and check if you have the right systems and processes in place. If you don't have the right systems and processes in place, sort it as soon as possible. You don't know when you will receive the invitation to reapply. So make sure your processes and policies are up to date, um, particularly since COVID started. Um, if you switch to remote working and distance learning, your policies should reflect, reflect this. And I think that um, ROTAP are really putting emphasis on financial health of companies. Do either of you have any advice on on what you think they're looking for and how companies could get those um, that information in place in time for a ROTAP reapplication? Sure, so um, in terms of financial health, the ESFA have placed a real emphasis on financial health in the ROAP reapplication. Um, providers need to demonstrate that their organisation is financially healthy. They'd need to demonstrate their organisation's financial figures, statements, and any parent company statements as well. Um, you're gonna have to uh, you're gonna have to prepare for this. Um, so it's not something that you can kind of put together the night before. So preparation is key. Thinking back to what Katie said, start early. Mm. And does anybody have any idea how far back into accounts Roadtap would be looking? Is it twelve months or twenty four months or or even more? I think it would link back in with their previous application. Um, right. So anything that's occurred since their most recent application. Okay. So what's your top tip for training providers when reapplying to ROTAP? Um, in terms of resources that they should use, Joe, um, I recommend they use the government website, um, particularly the guidance document, which specifies questions and gives providers key things to include within their answers. Um, also includes the funding rules and Ofsted inspection framework. 
Um, recommend they also revisit their previous applications. So obviously if they're reapplying now they've completed an application previously, go back to that, have a look at the feedback, have a look at the guidance that was within that previous application. Also at Bud we're delivering a, a monthly webinar, um, so that'd be a great resource to use as well. Um, so put learners at the heart of your training delivery. Make sure learner outcomes are prioritised and form the basis of all you do. I think if you do this and you have all the systems and processes in place, it should make the reapplication process much, much easier. Mm. So I think it's really all about putting the learners first, making sure you're evidencing um, exactly what you're doing. So ideally, digitally, paper really isn't going to give the evidence that ROTAP need this no. time, is it? And I think morally, there is a requirement that um, providers are ensuring that the outcomes of learners are first and foremost on their agenda over financial gain. Definitely. Agreed, yeah. yeah. Well, Katie, Craig and Matt, thank you very much for joining me today. That really was a very interesting discussion about the ROTAP refresh. I guess all that remains to say is thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and 